Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. Now last week, Pastor Luis, he showed us uh, how Jesus taught us to pray, you know, the Lord's Prayer. And so now we actually get to hear a prayer that, the, that God the Son prayed to God the Father. It's really amazing. Uh, a pre, just that we're in on it. I mean, I'm so glad that this John 17 was, was provided to us because we hear this conversation uh, between God the Son and God the Father, the amazingness of it. And just to know that, that uh, the setting of this is... Um, it's prayed actually just before the disciples make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in just hours, Jesus is going to be, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be abandoned by his own disciples. And he's going to be crucified. And so just imagine what's going through Jesus' mind. And he... he, he, he gets away for a time, and he has this conversation with God the Father, and, and here's the creator of the universe. You know, I was just thinking about the song that we just sang, So Will I, and the 100 billion galaxies, and here's God. I'm talking to God, and again, the Trinity. It's so hard to understand. I hope, I hope to maybe expound on that a, a little bit, but there's three parts to the prayer uh, that Jesus prays. The first part is, is that Jesus prays for himself. Uh, he knows what's about to come down, right? And he prays for himself. He also prays for the disciples, and then he intercedes for all believers. So this is the three, the three main parts of this prayer in John 17. Uh, the fact that Jesus is, uh, is praying messes with a lot of people's minds. Uh, preparing the message, I even heard a post, uh, someone saying, if Jesus is God, then why does he pray to God? And, and again, I think it's really hard. I think it just really underscores the fact that it's just really hard for our minds to understand the incarnation, God becoming man. Um, I don't, and, and I've heard some great explanations through the years, and, and, and I, oh, I love that analogy, and I love that analogy, but, and I love that analogy. But, you know, when I'm in worship, and I'm worshiping just a mighty God, and then understanding the Godhead, listen, I don't have... All those answers, I have such limited understanding, like as well as you. And I think that we, we need to understand that and we need to actually rejoice in, in the, the greatness of God. Almost kind of reverse it, like, God, you're so great, you're so mighty, that it is hard for me to understand. My, my, my understanding is so, uh, so limited. Um, it's interesting to see Jesus' priorities in the last hours, in the last night of his life. Um, teaching the disciples actually about the Trinity. So you're going to hear a lot about the Trinity in this, uh, the coming gift of the Holy Spirit, and the relationship between Father, uh, the Father and the Son. So as we start out here in verse 1, what I'm going to do, sometimes we'll read a whole chapter, and then we will uh, you know, place the sermon off of that. What I'm going to do is more go verse by verse, expound a little bit on each one, and go through these, um, these verses it starts out in John 17, 1, where it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, 
the hour has come. I want to point out that there's actually a big change in uh, Jesus' verbiage. Uh, because in the past, Jesus has been saying throughout the gospel, Jesus has been saying, my hour has not yet come. And you see a lot of instances of that. If you remember in Luke 4, remember when Jesus is in the synagogue and he basically confesses that he is that Messiah. He reads the text and he is that person. I believe it's out of Isaiah. And it outraged the people. They were so angry. How dare him say that he's the Messiah, that he's God. So they actually escort him and take him to a cliff where they want to throw him off the cliff. And, and the word says, it says, but Jesus passed through the crowd and he went on his way. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. And even consider all the things in the times Jesus growing up. You know, in those days there was a lot of sickness. People died at a very early age often just because of right, lack of medicine and different things. And there's so many things that could have happened. But you know what? His time had not come. And I think, you know, that's just a, a, a very important thing for, for all of us to, to, to hold on to as well. Um, it says that it's now time for all this to take place. It's important to understand as believers that there is a timing in our life, in our lives as well. There's a destiny that applies to individual believers. Unlike Jesus, we're not, we don't know when our hour will come, and I'm glad about that. I'm glad I don't know when that is, but we all have an hour on this earth when that time is going to come. And until it arrives, you will not be taken. No matter how hard the enemy tries to take you out, he can't. Um, that's not a thing of pride, that's just a thing of understanding who you are in Christ and the, and the divineness of God. No matter how many accidents or health scares, pan, pandemics in your lifetime, you won't be taken away until it's time. And it, what that does to me is it empowers me. It actually makes me walk with a lot of confidence and a lot of fear. I hear so many believers who throughout my life, I've, I've listened to so many believers where they they just walk around like there's, you know, something bad around every corner. You know, maybe, well, I heard about this spell. I mean, there's just so much, so much that you've heard through all these years. But I, I believe that there really is this thing of the authority of the believer, and Satan can't take you out uh, until, until it's time. And, we, yeah, we need to live our lives, and we need to be wise and, and all these things, but there is a, there is a time, there is a destiny. All right. Uh, Recently, uh, recall the story of Corrie Ten Boom. Uh, many of you know her, have read her book. During World War II, she endured uh, the German prison camp. Uh, she watched her sister be mistreated and die. That had to be really difficult. She was released from prison, actually, by a clerical error. Well, who, you know, was it an error? Was it just, the, I'm sure, the divineness of God? Because I'll tell you what, she had a huge impact on the world. Um, after the war, she did. She took her, marriage, her, uh, her message and she would go around the world doing it. And there was a, she tells a time of a story of being on an airplane and it's flying at cruising altitude and the cabin begin to, filled with, be, begin to fill with smoke. Um, 
that's a bad thing. You don't want your cabin filled with smoke. And, you know, even if you're, a, say, an instrument-rated pilot, you still have to rely on your instruments, right? If you can't see your instruments, you, you can't fly. One of the worst things a pilot doesn't want is smoke in the, in the cockpit. And so it was just a really bad thing. And, and um, the plane eventually landed safely, and everyone gets off the plane. And there's this businessman on the flight, and he, he commented, and he goes, you know, I was watching you during the whole ordeal. I'm, I'm looking around, and you were the calmest person on the flight. It didn't even bother you. And she said, uh, and, you know, like how, he's, he's like, how could you remain so calm and confident in the light of potential uh, pending doom? And she was able to tell him, of course, about the river of peace that was in her life, the confidence and the assurance that she had, that comes from knowing that her life was mapped out from beginning to end. And she's like, also, there's nothing I could really do about it, right? My peace is in God. There's a time. If it's my time, if it's my destiny, then that's my time. If it's not my hour, I'm not going to worry about it. And that's what happens to so many people in this world. They're filled with fear. So his time had not yet come. And there is a destiny and there is a time. And what we need to do as believers is we need to walk around and we need to walk in authority. Not arrogance, but we need to walk in authority when it comes to that. It goes on in verse 1. It says, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Now remember, this is a, think about this. This is powerful. As I've been reading John 17, I'm like, I'm in on this. I'm in on this, 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 this beautiful prayer it says, he's a, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have uh, given him. Now, a significant part of this whole prayer is bringing glory to the Father, uh, what was due him. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more, try to expound a little bit as much as I can, because this concept of glory can be um, sometimes a, a little bit difficult to take hold of. But it says in verse 3, it says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus makes an important statement here. He says, eternal life is defined as knowing God. This is eternal life. I was thinking about that. I thought of a scripture earlier today on, in, in Matthew uh, 7. Where remember this, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. It's about knowing God. He says, Away from me, you evildoers. It's this whole thing of knowing God, having a, a personal relationship with Him. Uh, and we do that when we receive Christ into our life, we live by faith. When we receive the work of the cross, um, it is not an intellectual knowing. It's, a knowing, it's a, not a knowing that you get necessarily from uh, knowing your Bible. You know, there's a lot of atheists that read the Bible with a lot of skepticism. Uh, they, they perhaps are very cynical. Uh, you know, newsflash as well, the devil knows the Bible very well, right? It's not about knowing the Bible, it's about knowing the Lord. 
It's about receiving what he did for you, and, it's, and, and, and you become that. When someone comes to the Lord, they might not necessarily know all the important doctrines. I believe doctrine is extremely important. They might not understand sanctification. They might not understand grace, but they know God. It's a relationship. It's not an intellectual knowing gained by just absorbing information. Information you'd get perhaps from reading a book or studying a particular subject. The knowing referred to here is it's, it's an experiential knowing. Uh, you know, I was thinking about it. I make decisions, a lot of family decisions, based on the fact of knowing uh, my wife. Uh, and it's grown through daily experience, uh, through the years, with time and interaction. Um, she's sitting right there, so I've got to be really, really careful at this point. <laughs> you know, a husband and wife... Uh, you know, they can know each other the way nobody else knows them. In fact, they say, they actually say that if um, you really want to know a man, then talk to his wife. And of course, I didn't allow her to come the first service. She found the keys, came anyway. And um, you know, so she's here, um, not allowed on stage at this point, but uh, no. You know, but that's, that's just an interesting concept that, you know, we, you get to know, know each other by, by, that, uh, by that interaction um, what's interesting about knowing God is it's not essentially through just time and interaction. Yes, we grow, but it's through the Holy Spirit. And when you receive Christ and the Spirit lives in you, that's the knowing. And no one can take that away from you. I think a lot of people are afraid to share their faith with other people because I might, know how to, I might not know how to answer that question. I might not know that scripture. I might be stumped in this area, or they might even confuse me. But there's nothing that takes away the knowing. There's nothing that takes, takes away the life change that's happened within you. Christ lives within. There's an, an instantaneous knowing that begins at that point and carries on through the life of a believer. It's a knowing. I'm going to live by the Holy Spirit. I think if you woke up every day and you said, Holy Spirit, Okay, I'm going to recognize that you live in me and I'm going to ask that you help me navigate every little situation that I'm going to encounter today. I think that if we were just cognizant of that and we made that a statement of, of importance, then I think your day probably many times would turn out a lot differently. I know it would for me if I knew that that was the most important thing, right? I, there's a book that I read. Whenever I think of that concept, I think of this book that I read many, many years ago. I think I was in Romania when I, I first read the book. And it was called, it was, the book was called I Dared to Call Him Father. And it's actually a, a, a classic on, uh, on Muslim evangelism, like in Islam. Um, it's a true story of a woman prominent Muslim woman. I believe she was from Pakistan. And she has an unusual journey in her relationship with God. It's a great read. Um, she was actually very wealthy. Her husband was military, and that's why she was wealthy. And through a, cer through a series of circumstances, she, she comes to know Jesus. No one witnesses to her. Um, she had a Bible that was left to her accidentally by a maid or something like that. 
And so she begins to, to read the word and the Holy Spirit begins to work on her where she's like, well, I got the Quran, I've got the Bible. I just really need to know what's, what's God. I need to know what's true. And truly, the, the Holy Spirit began to, to show her God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, right? Jehovah. And so she, um, ex, ex, you know, accepts Christ and the book goes on, you know, on other things that happened in her life. But there's a part in the book that I think about a lot when it comes to being led by the Holy Spirit. And on her property was a fruit tree. So this is kind of early on in her, in her uh, relationship with God. And she had, she, she loved the presence of the Holy Spirit. She loved the peace that she got, the joy that she got. She loved all of it. And there were some children that came from the village onto her property and uh, where, where she had a fruit tree. And they were noisy. They were very noisy. And they were picking her fruit. And that very day, she had the gardener cut down the tree. She was just like, I don't want the noise. I still want the kids. Uh, my... Me means more to me than having to put up with that. And as, as soon as the tree was destroyed, so was her joy. As soon as the tree was destroyed, her peace was gone and the Lord's presence in her life. She felt like grieving of the Holy Spirit. Wow, how wonderful to operate that way in our life. Holy Spirit, am I grieving you? And it's a wonderful thing. That's what the Holy Spirit does to us. He teaches us. He trains us. She says this, For a long time I stood in my window staring at the empty place. Oh, Lord, I said, let me come back into your presence again, please. The next day she issued an open invitation to the children in the village to enjoy another fruit tree that she had on her property and she told the Lord, Lord, it's your garden. I give it up to them with great pleasure. Thank you for using this to, treat, to, uh, to bring me back into your comforting self. And he did return. You see what I mean? Not, not return like he left, but that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. Knowing comes through the Spirit. And it's even foretold in the Old Testament. Excuse me. Uh, let me use this scripture. Jeremiah 31 says this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. They had all these written down rules and now they have the law. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and teach his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. I wrote a song many years ago called <clears throat> Trust in the Lord. And that was the first part. That was the first verse. It was just a Lord, you know me better than I know myself. You know my thoughts and my desires. I mean, and I went on just to expand on that thought. But you know what, Lord, you know me and you understand me and I want to obey you. God's saying in this, he goes, I'm going to envelop them. I'm going to take, again, who I am. I'm going to take my character, 
my wisdom, my righteous requirements. I'm going to take and write those things where? On their heart. That's where it's written. It's written on their heart. And there will be an instantaneous knowing and an, enjoy, an adjoining intimacy. <clears throat> Paul, he describes this intimacy in 1 Corinthians. It says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. See that? John 10 says, my sheep, they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. It's about hearing the voice of the Lord. <clears throat> so I said I'd go back to this thing of glory. So I'm going to try to define that in some way. It starts out in verse 4. It says, I glorified you on earth. I'll try to... So it's, it's connected to what God does. His actions. In the world, His mercy. His, his kindness. Even discipline and judgment. Okay, this is, this is the glory of God. <clears throat> it has to do with his death and resurrection. Uh, it's his reputation. It's his fame. It's who he is. It's the beauty of his very being, his attributes and characteristics. Everything's created for God's glory, and humanity is made to display his amazingness. Isn't God amazing? You know, I... I have a laptop that I usually open up every morning and it always opens up on the screen of some beautiful scene. Maybe it's a mountain, it's a stream, it's flowers, it's the universe, it's stars. And I'm always just so amazed. Like, God, your creation, you are so magnificent. You're so glorious. It's his glory. Then it goes on to say, (coughs) verse 4, excuse me, (coughs) having accomplished the... (coughs) I need... Me something. Maybe this tea will help. Um, it says this in verse 4. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me. So see, he's, now he's saying glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you <clears throat> before the world existed. So Jesus is pointing to the things that he did, right? He's talking about things in his earthly ministry. He says, I accomplished the work that you gave me to do. In other words, God gave him a task and he did it. That brings glory to the Father. What has God called you to do? And is it bringing glory to God? Like simple obedience brings glory to God. That's glory. And what Jesus is saying is, I obeyed, I did it. I brought glory to you because I did what you called me to do. So that's this thing of of glory. He did the things bringing glory to the Father. You know, it's interesting. Who who else can pray that prayer but God? And this actually portion of Scripture is actually used uh, when in proving that Jesus is God. Uh, They'll use this portion of Scripture because no one could pray that prayer. No one could say that and not be God. If a person tried to pray that, it would be either ridiculous or blasphemous. And so this points to Jesus being God. Um, Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord. Those are capital. That should be capital. 
Lord. I am the Lord, which means God. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. Okay? So it's, it's God. He prays for the very glory which God says I share with no other. So it's God. Going on to verse 6, it says, I have manifested your name to the people who, uh, whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. He's saying, I've revealed your name. I've revealed your attributes. He's telling God, I have revealed your character. In John 1.18 uh, if we read back in John, it goes, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. I like the way the NAS puts it. It says, He explained him. Listen, that's what Jesus did when he came to earth. He explained him. He explained God. He explained the Father. Going to verse 7, it says, Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. Okay. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Jesus, he's saying to the Father, they now know you, because they've listened to me. I am here from you. I came from you, I came to them, and they now know. And it's going to take some time before they're actually going to really know why he came. He came to die. It's really hard for them to wrap their mind around it. Remember, they're wanting for a new kingdom to be set up. Uh, in the verses that uh, follow, uh, Jesus begins to pray for his disciples for strength because he knows that they're going to face some very dark days. Now, isn't it interesting? Jesus is going to the cross, but you know what his concern? His concerns for his disciples. I am praying for them, he tells in verse 9. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, you, us, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and all yours, they're mine. And I am glorified in them. Great question. Is Christ really being glorified in you? I mean, do you care? I mean, do I care? Do I want Christ glorified in me? And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. They have to stay. Holy Father... How, how are they supposed to be kept? In your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. He simply says to keep them in his name. What's the name? Like his attributes, his character. And David understood the 700 years before Christ was born. Psalms 20 says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble, and may the name of God of Jacob protect you. No, it's in the name. It's in the name. You know, there comes a time where when you're battling, 
in this life, you know, you, it's like, devil, let me tell you the name of my father. Let me tell you who my father is. This is real important for you to know. You know, I've been doing this more and more in the morning. Um, in, in, you know, just a few minutes that I have, I might be running out the door. But I'll literally grab my phone. And I have, I have like on my phone a shot of just the names of God, like in the Old Testament. Like El Shaddai, El Adonai, Yahweh, Nisi, like the different names of God. And I'll begin to say, Lord, Lord God Almighty, <laughs> you're almighty. Like, you are almighty. Anything that's going to happen to me, you, you conquer it. You're almighty. You're most high. Lord, I thank you for being my master. I thank you that you're Jehovah Jireh, that you're my provider, that you're, you, there's a banner over my life. I thank you, Lord, that you heal, that you're there, that you're my righteousness. And Lord, that you sanctify me. It's not by my good works. You sanctify me, that you're everlasting, that you're a jealous God. So, Lord, help me go through this day like you're a jealous God. Lord, that you're going to provide. Lord, your peace. Lord, you're the Lord of hosts. And then there's a whole, there's another picture. Throw that one up, Ray, of other names. Like, that's the name. That's what Jesus is saying. I have kept them. How? I've kept them in your name. My, my uh, advice to you would be is to know the name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue, con- tongue confess. It's the name And when you're a child of God, you operate and you move and you walk in that name, not in your own strength. It's the name, the name that is above every name. It says in verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. He's speaking about Judas that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. (laughs) What does that bring us? Happiness, joy. You know, that's interchangeable. If you look at the Greek, joy, happiness, like God wants us to be happy. He wants us to be full of joy. It says in verse 14, I have given them your word And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. The world will not love you. In fact, sometimes I'm wondering if I'm doing everything right, if the world does love me. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. What's the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? Um, So he prays that, we're not taken out, but to be kept from the evil one. And the thing is, is we battle an unseen enemy. Spiritual warfare is a real thing. Use the name. There's power in the name. There's a roaring lion that will want to devour us. But we can't fixate on that. We fixate on the name of God. There's a tension that we live in. On one side, you have the devil seeking who he wants to destroy. 
And then Jesus on the other side is he's praying that you're kept and strengthened, right? Second Peter tells us, we've been given everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything that you need for life and godliness has already been given to you. Ephesians 6 gives us the armor of God. And, you know, how often do we go, I'm going to put this on, I'm going to put this on. Am I wearing this today? Am I wearing this today? Right? Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in, in the truth, your word. Your, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The Greek word uh, for sanctify is, um, let's see, hagiatso, I guess you could say. It means to be holy. So that's what sanctification is. It's to be holy. And holiness comes how? It comes through separation. Separation from what's unholy and corrupt. Jesus is praying that the Father would keep you and me from the corruption of the world. Verse 19 says that I consecrate myself. In Jesus, what Jesus is doing is he's setting himself apart. Setting himself apart. And then what he does is he sends the Holy Spirit and that empowers us to live a separated life. So that's Jesus' desire, that we would live separate, separate from the world. It goes on in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, I do not ask for these only, but for all those, you, everyone here, but for all those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one. And this goes to the end where, where look at Jesus' heart. You know what Jesus' heart is at the end? He's going to the Father. It's unity. It's oneness. That they all may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The world believes in that when they see that unity. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, and love them, even as you've loved me. It's the power of unity. And that's what we do. We celebrate each other's gifts and we live by the attempt, right? To live by the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right? Mercy, self-control. All these things that God gives us to live in that, in that way. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's really hard to live that way and to have that name and to have that unity when people come against you um, or they don't maybe understand you. I always think of Paul when he was in a Roman prison and he's writing to the Philippians and he's chained to a guard and there's people that are poking at him. They're, maybe they're saying that if God was really with you, you wouldn't be in prison. Think about that. Something goes wrong in your life. You know, well, there's, there's a reason for it. Paul, you know, you're in prison and you're chained because 
you're just not living your life right. I'll bet you anything a lot of other people were saying those kind of things because shouldn't you be blessed? Well, maybe, just maybe, God, through the Holy Spirit, was having Paul write a letter to the Philippians that we will read today. Do you see the sovereignty of God? And Paul says in Philippians 1.18, he says, they preach with selfish ambition. These are Christians, other Christians. We're talking about unity. We're talking about Jesus praying that we're going to be one, right? He goes, they preach with selfish ambition. Not sincerely supposing they can add stress to my chains. They were deliberately, it says right here, they were deliberately preaching to make Paul mad. Oh, that's unity. That's oneness. Yeah, if you love God and you're living for Him, you sure, will, sure wouldn't be in a prison. What then is the issue? Just this, that in every way, whether by false motives or true, that Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. You know what Paul did? He put all the accusations aside. He put all their diabolical, uh, you know, uh, pointing fingers at him and the words that they were saying. And he's, you know, he's saying, Christ is preached. Like, I don't care. My mission is that Christ is preached. I'm going to die one day. I'm going to answer for my own life. I'm going to answer for myself. I'm in a war. I have my battalion. I have my friends. I'm not going to get sidetracked. I'm not going to go to the right. I'm not going to go to the left. I'm going to go straight on, right? I'm going to be focused. I'm not going to let these people that are saying things about me, you know, this one's better. This one's that. You think, I don't know. Like, we all know that. We all know we can all be better. We all know this. We all know that. But Paul's just like, I don't care. Christ is preached. In some of the hardest times in my life, the things that I've ever been through in my life, that's the way I have to think. I have to think, Lord, I answer for me one day. I will preach your word. I will do my best to live according to your word. I will try to always listen to the Holy Spirit to convict me and, 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 and please, Holy Spirit, never stop. Never stop. Please, I beg you, like, don't stop. Remember, remember what David said? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You know, I believe that's what it talks about when it talks about the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Like, take not that Holy Spirit from me. Like, I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, right? That's oneness. Jesus, this is what, what God the Son is praying to God the Father, and it's the very last part of what he's talking about in his prayer to God is I want him to be one. I want them, I want them to, to be one and I want, you know, I want them to be in joy. Um, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am. Isn't, that, isn't this cool? Actually, this is really the, the end. He's, I love this. You know, his, you, know, you know what he's really saying at the very end? It's, I want them to be with me. That's, that's the last thing he says. Look at this. He goes, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am. Like, I'm going with you. Like, I'm going to be there. I'm going back. I'm going to receive my glory. I want them with me. 
to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these and and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them what? Your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Love. That they would, that they would live their life, that they would love. I want, you, I want them with me. I've given you their glory. That's the high priestly prayer of our, of our Lord Jesus. Brian, you can come on up. Um, we just need to just live by the name allow the Holy Spirit to direct our lives be sensitive to that that the Father would continually be revealed in us let's pray Father we thank you for your word Lord I ask that your name would be first and foremost in our life Lord Holy Spirit we give you we just give you all of us. Each of, we just pour out our heart to you and we just ask that you would just help us to be obedient to what you've already shown us that perhaps you've already shown us a million times and we're just rebellious. But Lord, Holy Spirit, just help us. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us to glorify your name. Lord, when we come in here, Lord, every week and worship you and glorify you. Lord, when we go home and we leave this place, Lord, may we glorify you. Lord, the crux of this prayer is glory. We give you glory, Lord. For which in your precious name we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.